recording our newest companion episode and we thought it was really important that we record this episode quickly because as most of you realize or are in the midst of we are um, the majority of the people in this country are working from home right now if possible with business essential uh, opening only and uh, making it really challenging for us you know we're all looking for content to get us through these days uh, de-stress a bit so there was a recent documentary on Netflix that um, for the most, I think, most part, a lot of people have watched, and if not, it's been, been suggested to them that they watch. And it is called Tiger King, and it is a Netflix original about a zookeeper who commissioned the murder of their animal rights arch enemy. And um, it's so much more than that, Brittany. You know, it's... Uh... It's murder, mayhem, and madness. It's crazy. It is insane. If... If you follow us on social media, I tweeted out some pictures of my honest-to-goodness natural reactions as I was watching it. I've never seen anything like this before. These people are unique. They are, you know, and um, I, of course, have a bit of a tie to these, um, <laughs> some of these folks. More than one, apparently. Um, that we will talk about a little bit later, but you know, there is a the arch enemy of uh, you know Joe Shrivel, as we were are going to be speaking about, was Carol Baskins, and she was married to Don Lewis in Tampa, Florida, and they ran a wildlife uh, rescue for big cats called Wildlife on Easy Street, and um, I have familiarity with her. And Don, because I did some shooting at that facility for a couple of commercials that I worked on when I was working in Florida in the production business. And um, so I am familiar with them. And I'm also familiar with a couple of the other rescues for other animals, large animals in the vicinity as well, who um, worked together, um, you know, to try to support the rescue of these large animals when essentially people would adopt these either cubs or in my instance one of the ones that i frequented was uh more for gorillas and primates and of course these people who thought it was a great idea to adopt one of these animals once again well wasn't cute anymore you know and could kill them they decided to give them up and they had to put them somewhere and these areas were were built to help support those efforts and to make people realize that number one it's not a good idea to um adopt you know, animals that are um, truly undomesticatable, in my opinion. I mean, you've got wild cats, you've got chimps, you've got um, all different kinds of monkeys, you know, who are, um, you know, not used to living in a domesticated environment and certainly not in a house with people and literally could kill them. I mean, we know there are cases where women, uh, oh, one woman in particular, I think she got her face ripped off and she lost oh. a couple of... Uh, 
of her senses. I think she lost a hearing and she also lost her vision. I mean, it was really terrifying. So um, this is an interesting case. So we'll we'll dabble through it. But Brittany, what I thought we would do because there are a lot of ins and outs in this, mm-hmm. um, you know, seven part series on Netflix. And they do an yep. amazing job, as usual, uh, you know, taking us through all the nuances of the case. And I found frequently, um, you know, that even though I didn't think I was going to be surprised by any of these events, every time a new episode started, I was like, are you kidding me? I cannot believe, like, we have taken another turn here. I thought it was impossible for it to get weirder. And it got weirder and weirder and weirder. And then sometimes very close to home. So I can't wait to talk about it with you. But if it's okay with you, Brittany, I think we should just go through every um, every episode and, um, you know, help our help our our audience understand either um, what they're going to see if they watch the the series or if they're like me and they already watched it and you, um, yeah. you know, we were dying to talk about it with each other. We were just like, no way, it's impossible. That's not real. I'm like, yeah, knowing some of these people personally, I can tell you not only is it real, but it's weirder than even what you're seeing on screen. It's just and typical. So, um, pardon me if I sound like I'm unsurprised by some of these people, but I have to say growing up in Florida, um, this is very typical of their personalities. So we will, we'll dive in. All right. Well, before we dive in, I want to paint a little bit of a picture of what I guess I would consider the two main characters. Uh, and there's one real main character that steals the show. And then The other one is kind of like the subject of his rage. So the main character goes by Joe Exotic. uh, And that's not his real name. But if you see this guy, the name fits. His actual name is Joe Allen Maldonado Passage. Or previously known as Joe Schweibvogel. This guy has... He is... A proud, uh, gun-toting, wildlife-loving, polygamist gay man who lives every minute of what he prides himself on. And I, I don't even know how else to describe him other than think of the most outlandish most outrageous character you can to fit that role and you probably haven't even come close to what Joe Exotic is actually like and uh, his conservatory which really is a zoo GW Zoo in Oklahoma uh, he is proud he loves his animals but he feels like he is being attacked by conservationists particularly Carol Baskin from Florida. And Carol becomes the, uh, she is kind of like at face value, the picture of content and a loving wife. And she just wants to do the right thing. And she's so sweet and she's so innocent, but there's potentially a very dark side underneath. And I don't think she's too much different than Joe actually is. So I just wanted to paint that picture a little bit of really what are the two main characters to think about as we go through the details of the episodes and the story as it unfolds. Again, there are a lot of other colorful characters that we'll talk about and certainly 
only pepper the story further. Um, <laughs> and I, uh, so Joe Exotic, as he likes to call himself, is known, uh, you know, self-admittedly as a gun-toting, gay, redneck, exotic animal lover. He, um, you know, the first the first episode is called Not Your Average Joe. And as Brittany said, he is definitely not your average Joe. This is a guy who was um, very much into drama. He was or considered himself to be a performer. He's had an internet show for many years with um, in which he would communicate with his staff from, you know, at the zoo about the animals. And then in other just nonsense. I mean, he really put himself on the stage and he had a lot to say and he felt like he, um, you know, wanted to share his life and all of his thoughts um, constantly. He was recording frequently um, on his, at his zoo and, um, you know, it was a big I think 40 something acres had a lot of different, um, you know, tiger in, in cages, uh, cages, as well as other animals. He had some chimps and things like that. So right. let's take a step back. Let's talk about, uh, part one, not your average Joe. So this episode starts with the reminder that there are more captive tigers in the U S than there are in all of the world in nature. So I find that to be pretty offensive that numbers between 5,000 and 10,000 in captivity, and it's unknown because there's still no regulation behind it. And there are about 4,000 in the wild. And of course, that's diminishing on a daily basis because we can't seem to keep people from killing them, which is yeah. really strange. So, um, hey, you know, let's, let's start there. Um, you know, at the beginning of the documentary, it's really, it's unclear from, it was unclear from, for me until I watched this series the second time. Um, the POV and the point of view is essentially the documentarian who had been in Florida, in South Florida, who and been doing some investigation of some reptile dealers um, that were, um, you know, operating illegally. And, um, you know, this led them to, you know, the exotic animal world and how the deals, you know, happened between them. And in this in particular, um, this led this person, the documentarian, to the big cat arena, which is ripe with, um, you know, colorful people, as well as a very, very financially lucrative business of selling cubs and showing them. And um, the documentarian was, again, doing some research on a reptile, you know, dealer in Southern, Southern uh, Florida. And someone drove up in their van with a snow leopard in back of the van <laughs> and decided to show it to the people who he was dealing, doing deals with for the reptiles. Now a snow leopard in the back of a van in Florida in the summer, um, you know, was pretty shocking to this documentarian and a bit offensive. It was a concern. Obviously it's an animal that's used to the snow and um, it really led you know, this documentarian to start this path and to really start understanding, you know, the world of big cats. And, you know, there are a lot of different groups and zoos um, and private owners across the United States. And um, so clearly people want these animals. And apparently it doesn't really cost that much to get one. It's mind blowing how inexpensive it seems to be. Yeah. $2,000 to $3,000. There are yeah. dogs cheaper than that. Oh, I know. I mean, that is, it's 
un or dogs there are dogs more expensive dogs than more that. expensive than that um, but, yeah. but i mean it's it's just unbelievable that someone would think it would be a good idea to buy a tiger cub and figure out after they get you know 12 weeks or more that they can you know really do some damage and kill them so very mm-hmm. very scary um pretty as you said joe shrivogel or Joe Exotic, as we like to call him, you know, really enjoyed being on stage. He took full advantage of him, you know, performing at a zoo. He tried to incorporate these animals into some magic tricks. So he was a performer um, at heart. Um, You know, Joe operated this zoo. He funded it himself. There are a lot of um, conversations about how he funded him, funded the um, the growth of the zoo, because I don't know how he got the money, um, you know, to do so. But it sounded to me like a lot of the money um, was made by taking the cubs and taking the tigers on tour to malls and to private events and, um, you know, letting people pose with pictures of them and um, just promoting, you know, the, the big cat environment. It was, it was very popular in uh, celebrity culture for models. Uh, there's a, uh, he, uh, he officially opened his zoo in 1999 and something that I saw earlier today is that, I think in 2000 or something, um, Britney Spears actually had, uh, I think, one of his tigers either in one of her music videos or one of her live performances. So it was it was big money for people just to to rent these as showpieces, and he took it all to the bank. Yeah, yeah. Shaq bought a couple of tigers from him, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, he. Um... You know, he, like I said, he really enjoyed that attention and, and that love for the animals. And, um, you know, apparently was pretty successful at it for quite a while. Um, what I thought was really weird in this first episode, um, you know, there are a couple people that were introduced. There was Joe Exotic, Joe Schreibogel, as well as Doc Antle. And Doc Antle is another um, big cat's extraordinaire, I don't know what else to call them, expert, <laughs> I suppose, Um, He lives on the East Coast. He, um, you know, had a very big business uh, renting his exotic animals to the movie industry and to TV and, you know, in Ace Ventura, you know, in The Jungle Book, in many, many movies. You will see tigers and lions and ligers um, that are from these two different individuals. And Joe Exotic, you know, Doc Antle has his own issues. He, um apparently is um you know appears that he thinks he is a some kind of yogi guy um you know he's a mystic i think he's a when somebody asked him what he's a doctor of he's a doctor of mysticism which i was like (laughs) i think i may be a doctor of mysticism like uh, can i just say that you know i mean i just thought that was really really strange and we'll talk a little bit later as we talk more about doc you know, all the different persuasions that he sort of contributed to his success. (laughs) But what I thought was really strange was that he and Joe had similar um, beliefs. And the belief was that the cub petting, as we'll call it, which is taking the cubs out on tour and having people pose with them with pictures and things like that, was educational. It was for the promotion of the conservation of the animals. And they really, truly believed to some extent that that was actually promoting that. And so, um, you know, their argument with the Carol Baskin conversation, and Carol Baskin didn't just target Joe Exotic. She targeted 
all of these different organizations and these different zoos who she felt was offending, um, you know, by promoting the, that kind of, you know, relationship with the cubs rather than just letting them live in, in their natural environment. So I thought that was really interesting. And in some ways I do agree, you know, especially when it comes to, um, you know, people owning these animals. And then of course, the reality is you should never buy one and it should never be allowed to buy one of these animals. And then you wouldn't have the problem of what to do with them once they got unruly, which they inevitably will because they're dangerous animals. So I think the bucks out starts to stop back there where we aren't allowing people to buy these animals. But, you know, for the, during this time when these people started, it was a very popular thing. So before we go on, I want to say... I, I had a hard time with Carol Baskin right from the start because to me, she seemed like a hypocrite. She, she, like, she calls herself a, a conservationist and she wants to rescue the animals, but she still charges admission for people to come to her conservatory to see these animals. And I don't see too much of a big difference between what she's doing and what Doc Antle and Joe Exotic are doing. They maybe, maybe she, her, her environment for the animals is a little bit better, but it's definitely not, I mean, it's not the open, it's not the wild. And she talks about how that's what she wants for the animals, but instead of actually doing that, she still keeps them in her confines instead of their confines. Yeah, I hear you. And I think that the difference is like you said, a couple of things. It's the habitat in which they live. Um, you know, and I've been, I've been to that location. I've been to wildlife on easy street a couple of times. It was, um, and I haven't been to Joe exotic and those shenanigans. Um, but I will tell you it's vastly better than, um, other zoos and in the circus and things like that. And, you know, I have a familiarity with circus, uh, folk with those environments because, you know, my sister and a lot of my family worked at Circus World and um, I spent quite a bit of time around, you know, my 15 year old days, um, you know, walking around behind the scenes and, and, and really spending quite a bit of close contact with those animals. You know, I would walk that little elephant around the park and um, it was really strange and intoxicating. So, um, but it was vastly different than what Carol was doing. I think what Carol was also, and she started her life married to a man who was very much a collector. So she definitely made a shift um, after her husband left the picture. And we'll talk about that in a little while. But, um, you know, from collector to conservation. And what, the, again, the big difference is she's calling her environment or her organization a rescue. And these other folks are zoos. And zoos, you know, even though I would, you know, it's semantics at some point, you know, she, she considers herself having no option because someone is going to have to rescue these animals and they could certainly never live in the wild. So I, um, you know, it's, it's all, it's, you're right. It's fine lines, but I think it's about the way that the animals are, are, um, promoted and, and taken care of. I, again, you know, I go back to the concern of not having any animals in the wild and what are we going to do about that? Well, that's the biggest, con that's the biggest concern. And I feel like instead of building her own rescue, maybe she should dedicate more time and money into actually getting the animals back into the wild. 
Yeah, I agree. It, the problem is, is that until we can control the, you know, poaching, it won't matter if we put them back in the wild because they'll be killed immediately. Right. Yeah, I understand that. I just, I feel that she talks a good game, but I never got that she actually was in it for the right reasons. She has the ability to really incite hate. People yeah, do not like her. Um, no. Everybody I talk to who's watched this, you know, series... You know, even my boyfriend said the same. He's like, oh, I totally believe she murdered her husband. I'm like, how, how do you believe that? I mean, what so proof? So, spoiler. You know, it, well, we'll talk about that in a few. But, yeah. you know, but yes. I mean, it's a big piece of this, you know. And Joe Exotic tries to use that to slander her and ruin her credibility. So, not that she couldn't do that herself. But she's definitely an interesting person. And her, her affect is off-putting it is very much so somehow coupled with her husband's uh strangeness as well i can understand why people like to hate them so i get that um you know let's go back to joe exotic a little bit because joe exotic started his career again taking his animals on tour doing some magic tricks you know really sort of promoting his business i thought it was really telling um and this to me summed up joe exotic and his personality in the documentary, he is on the stage talking to a bunch of kids about drugs, which was a big thing for him. He wanted to go out and make sure that, you know, when he went and spoke to school kids and things that they don't do drugs, you know, and all the reasons why. And here are the three reasons that he said in the documentary that kids should not do drugs. This is what he told them. He said, don't do drugs because your teeth fall out. It makes you ugly, and you will have no friends. These are the three compelling arguments for not doing drugs. So if you really want to understand at the very, very, very crux of Joe Exotic, these are the things that he felt strongly about. These were were the things that were important to him, is do not be unattractive. Make sure you get, you know, make yourself, you know, essentially attractive enough to have friends. And ultimately, if you have no friends, you are pretty useless. But I thought it was really interesting through all of this, these nuances that sort of are conveyed through this series in their little snippets, but they mean so much to the very underlying, you know, Mm -hmm. reality of Joe Exotic. So again, hey kids, don't do drugs because your teeth fall out. It makes you ugly and you have no friends. And I don't know how, if that's a compelling argument for people not doing drugs or not, like, you know, oh, what, I would say it will kill you. Why don't you tell people that it will kill you? You know, I mean, it ruin your life in a much bigger way than not having any friends. I am not going to explain to the, our audience what the Tiger King, Joe Exotic, nor his troop of merry men and women um, look like, because I am going to leave that nugget yeah, for sure. you guys to go yes. out there and investigate. Um, you know, it is, um, very, very exciting his, uh, you know, the, the way that these, these folks look, they, um, very much, you know, felt it was important that part of what their personalities that they were trying to convey was about that the way that they dressed and the things that they did and the things that they said. So it was a lot of pomp and circumstance and profiling per se. So that is the end of part one. And we excitedly await part two, which is called Cult of Personality. And that's where we really get into, um, you know, the conversation about how 
Joe came about and how he grew to the point where he and Carol had this standoff. So part two of this show is really where I got hooked. And this is where so much, these are where my reaction shots came from because I had heard of Joe Exotic before. He was actually featured on Last Week Tonight with John Oliver because one, he ran for president, believe it or not, as a registered write-in candidate. And two, he ran for governor of Oklahoma as a libertarian, but he didn't actually know what a libertarian was. So when you first told me about this, as soon as you said the Tiger King, you're the one that introduced me to the show, I knew exactly who you were talking about. So watching episode one, I thought, okay, so here's this crazy guy. I kind of had heard about it. Episode two, learning more about him and the way that he treats his people, the way that he treats his animals, and what seems to be going on inside of his head is completely nuts. I mean, he is essentially described as it, it's, it's his way or the highway. Um, he does everything that... Everyone has to follow him entirely. He is the he's the owner. He's the zookeeper. He's the manager. If he if you don't follow him, get out. And it's actually hard. It's almost gang like to leave. And there are people there that have this weird attachment connection to him that they don't want to be there, but yet they can't break away from it. Well, they can't break away from his, the connection that they have with the animals. And I think that's the, the the big, you know, sort of elephant in the room, no pun intended. But, you know, there's this desperation to connect with these animals. And this is their, he gives them the ability to do so. And as you will see in Joe Exotic's world, this is not the first time, and it's one of many times, that he will provide he will be the source of something to keep people hooked so that he can control them and their lives. He does that with people with drugs. He had a uh, two husbands uh, at the same time. Three total. Three total. We'll get to them in a minute. But he had two. He had John Finley, who had a lovely tattoo across his lower stomach, <laughs> which said, privately owned by Joe Exotic. Um, John, John Finley. John Finley, by the way... Um, many, many times has told us in this series that he is not gay, but he was the lover and the husband of Joe Exotic. Yep. So I was perplexed by that. And um, he, he he seemed to make it clear that he was in it for the gifts that Joe showered upon him, even though there were a lot of pictures with a lot of compromising positions. And I mean, I again, the visuals are too good. Just you have to go look at it yourself. Um, you know, Again, this personality, you know, the, the kind of person who would be, um, you know, sort of perpetuating these ideas, these stereotypes. I mean, they were all in it. Um, I think the part about that um, part two that I was really perplexed by was not perplexed. It was kind of horrifying. And I really felt for this is when I started feeling for the people who worked with uh -huh. Joe and who had to deal with him because they love their job so much. And these were people yes. who really had nowhere else to go. A lot of them were career criminals. Um, he was yep. in a lot of them were addicts that he was giving a chance. And there was a one of these people who was a person in the series through the whole thing. And she was 
seemed like a really nice person. And she was mauled by a tiger and she lost the use of her hand from the like uh forearm down and it was really graphic and like you said brandy they did not do a good job of covering it up no they tried to blur it out because there's footage of it not actually happening but right afterwards and they try to blur it out but they don't it's awful you can see really bad things um graphic that will make some people very uncomfortable, and rightfully so, because it's it, it's not it's not good. But this really speaks to the risk that these people are willing to put themselves through. And she said something actually really interesting. I mean, one, she came back, so that wasn't even a thought. She absolutely did. She came she back immediately to... because she didn't yeah. want people to think that the zoo had anything to do with it and blame them. Yeah. Oh, it, it's it was awful i couldn't believe that and she wanted to come back so quickly that she was given the option of trying to repair her arm but it would mean maybe six to 12 months of physical therapy and she'd never fully regain use of it or it could be amputated and she could get back to work right away so she chose to have it amputated that really stuck with me i couldn't believe that yeah and and she seemed like a nice person you know i mean he had given her a chance and she really felt obligated to him and really felt strongly about the animals. So, and that's what you get the sense of through um, all of the folks who worked with Joe, uh, you know, over time was that he gave them a chance. They were connected to him. He, um, you know, they felt obligated and they also felt, you know, connected with him in some way. And again, you know, when you watch the body of work, you look at it and say, God, how could anybody fall for that? You know, to me, he was a con man, so on and so on. But he was connected to many people in a lot of different ways. And some he he's he definitely had some kind of charisma that compelled people to want to be near him and certainly want to be near the animals. So I thought that was a little crazy. He's a super charismatic guy, to be honest. He really is. I mean, he's a character that I, you can't help but enjoy watching. Yeah, he is, to me, very typical of your gun-toting gay redneck, um, you know, and... He fits the bill. Uh, yeah, well, he does, and if you know any of those folks, and there are those folks out there, um, this is not that um, far off. I mean, I, 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 I think of three people in my head who this, um, he, that he, as a person, reminds me of for, with those three attributes, a gun-toting wow. gay redneck. And it's, okay. and it's really weird because it's like, it almost they're contradictory to each other you know yeah, i just yeah, it's right. so strange you're like a gun-toning gay redneck guy and there's nothing wrong with any of those three pieces separately those three you know uh, you can be a gun toter go for it more power to you you're right you can be gay of course you know those are things that are, are normal you know fine awesome a redneck apparently a large part of this country is cool with that. So yay, sure. go for it. But collectively, it makes for a really colorful person. And again, contradictory um, in and of itself. So it's kind of crazy. Um, so again, you know, part two, we meet Joe. Um, we get to know him more. We meet his husbands, who he married at the same time. He and Travis Maldonado and Joe Finley had um, a wedding together. No, I thought... Well, they did together, but I thought he married Joe Finley first. Then they had another wedding, air quotes, with Travis Maldonado, where then the three of them officially got married. Oh, probably. I, I just recall that the three of them getting married because I thought it was yeah. so strange. And you see all this video, and, uh, and, and I'm like, 
you know, and uh, as we talk about, and we'll continue to talk about with Travis Maldonado, Travis Maldonado was a drug addict. Travis Maldonado was a oh, tall, yeah. good-looking Southern California boy. He yep. um, had a very serious drug problem, and Joe took advantage of that by providing him drugs and sucking him into his world and, you know, really just bribing him with weed and meth and anything else to keep him there. But Travis will say on more than one occasion, he's not gay either. And, you know, no. so you've got not no you know Travis Maldonado not gay but married to Joe Exotic Joe, John Finley not gay but married to Joe Exotic and uh, you know for all practical purposes it appears that they're in a very intimate relationship definitely. collectively and individually with Joe so it um it's definitely perplexing um but you know hey it, it, that's a strange group of people anyway honestly the exotic animal folks is you'll you know you'll discover through understanding you know the different sex they are a little bit squirrely they do have some um you know interesting personalities and i think that's how they get there i mean i know i I know some of these people and they're they're definitely not normal they tend towards the dramatic let's just say that it's important to understand also that joe exotic is in his 50s and these guys are in their early 20s his husbands are in their early 20s he only goes after the young good-looking guys yeah, no, he, both of them, well, he, they were both 19 when he met them. Yeah. So really uh, interesting. And John Finley will readily admit, you know, the reason that he stayed was because he was getting gifts, because he was getting drugs. He was frequently high and didn't recall what was happening. And I am not going to suggest that Joe Exotic was on drugs as well. But, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, that's kind of how this works. So, um, you know, and there were times when I watched the, the, the series that I felt like that, you know, Joe Exotic may have been under the influence. Let's just say that. So part three. Part three is when we really start discovering, um, you know, the Carol Baskin's relationship with Joe. And the reason that Joe really hated her was ultimately because she tried to take away his business. She He would be out on the road taking his cubs around and, you know, charging people money to, you know, play with them and take pictures with them. And Carol would call ahead of time and her group would call ahead of time. And they were very well, not only was her group very well organized, they had a lot of funding. And they had a lot of funding because Carol, you know, as you'll discover, had a husband who was, again, a big cat collector and that he mysteriously disappeared. Now, we'll talk a little bit more about, um, you know, him, but I just, there were a couple things, and I, I met Don Lewis when I was in Florida, because when I would have been to, I, the place where I was was called the Wildlife on Easy Street, and that was pre-Big Cat Rescue, and that's where we did a couple of, we shot a couple of commercials, and um, man, I'll tell you, being near those cats, I mean, it there was nothing between, you know, me and them except the chain link fence, and it was terrifying. The sound that a large cat makes, if Think about your house cat and how the purring and the noise and the growling and all of that. Now, that's a thousand times louder. And the proximity that you're near these animals and they could just reach through and grab you and eat you. I mean, you're aware of it all the time. So I I was never compelled to want to hang out with them or hug them because I was really scared of them. But Wildlife and Easy Street was a very well-known place in Tampa. And um, Big Cat's Rescue still is. 
The parts that I thought were interesting about the Don Lewis story, because again, Don Lewis was a multimillionaire. He picked Carol up on the side of the road when she was like <laughs> 19. She was I, 19. Whatever. Yes. You know, in Tampa on Nebraska Avenue. And uh, I, I know exactly where that is. And I don't know why anybody would be picking anybody up on the side of the road on Nebraska Avenue besides picking up, um, you know, uh, a prostitute yes. or uh, such. Let's just call it that. Yes. Well, Don apparently wanted to have somebody to talk to because he was having family issues. So he picks up this young girl. She she says, I'm not going to get in the car with you. And he says, well, you can hold this gun on me. I just need somebody to talk to, which is weird on its own. Then apparently they drive around all night and they talk. He falls in love with her. They go back to a hotel room and they consummate this. Wow. Okay. Yep. A lot of information in a 24-hour period. Uh-huh. Um, he then proceeds to go and tells his wife that he's going to leave her for this young girl. And that pisses his family off because, again, he's a multimillionaire. Um, so the Don Lewis piece of it, you know, when I met Don, I thought he was a nice man. I had no issues, um, you know, with him. He seemed very professional and he really loved the animals. I didn't know any of this other information about Don Lewis, but the things that I found out in the series that I thought were weird were um, a couple of things. Don Lewis takes a monthly trip to Costa Rica, I and he would frequently go in a plane that he would fly. Um, but there are times in this documentary where they say that there's no way that a plane that he could fly, he could he could be piloting, would make it to Costa Rica. So uh-huh. that's kind of strange. If he's taking a commercial flight to Costa Rica, what is he doing there? Because he is he buying things and putting them. What is he is he visiting? You know, if he's bringing back animals, it would be really hard to do that in a commercial flight. So there were conversations about him buying cars. I I would say that there were other things happening that may have been illegal that would lead him to go back and forth to Costa Rica. It just seems really suspect to me. So that you can take a look at it and see for yourself. The other thing that I thought was really strange about Don and Carol's relationship was that apparently right before Don went missing, he had told a variety of people that he was having issues with Carol's Carol and he was going to divorce her. And he had actually, um, you know, filed a restraining order against her, which is really strange to do to your wife. And apparently Don wasn't exactly a big believer in involving the police. So for him to do that and making it official seemed really weird to people. So strange. Um, you know, the other part of this this uh, part three, the secret, as it's called, um, that I thought was really crazy was, um, you know, we have yet to call out the... Um, the Joe Exotic piece of this that I find the most entertaining. And that is the Joe Exotic um, considers himself a country music singer. <laughs> and I love it. there are a lot of music videos scattered across this series that are so effective in the timeline because, you know, he recorded this music video where he's got Carol or a person dressed up as Carol, oh. you know, and suggesting that she killed her husband and feeding, you know, meat to animals and suggesting that it was, you know, Carol. And it's so perfectly planned in, in the editorial of the series, which I think was kudos to the editorial uh, folks on this series, because I thought they did a really got job, good job of smattering video and visuals and music in and really conveying that message. We'll talk a little bit later about it, but I thought that was a little crazy. So the here kitty kitty video is a big, big <laughs> suggestion 
for all of our audience uh, to take a look at on YouTube. It's um, really weird, and it's Joe in a nutshell. If you want to see three minutes of this guy and understand him, uh, this is a good way to do it. So I would highly suggest so here, kitty, kitty video. Here, kitty, kitty. All right. So, so moving on into part four, Brittany, playing with fire. Self. Uh, and that's right. Joe Exotic can't get enough of Joe Exotic, and he already is. He's made himself an internet sensation, and so he hires a reality show producer to make a show about him which is kind of ironic because this is already pretty much happening with the documentary crew following him around but instead of a documentary it's i think really it's meant to be more day-to-day a day in the life of the GW Zoo, which is the name of the the zoo that he owns, with the cast of characters, his staff, and of course the animals, and his unique personality and his tangents. And essentially, this producer sees this as a freaking gold mine because this guy, rightly so, yeah, yeah. For sure, because this guy is crazy, and he's like, this is going to be the easiest gig in the world. I just have to put the camera on, let it run. I don't have to do anything. He just does this on his own. There's no staging. There's no producing. It's just let it happen. And uh, Joe is seeing this really as his opportunity to make it big. Because he was already big in the big cat community, in the wildlife community. Whether he was loved or he was hated, he was well known. But he saw this as his opportunity to break out and become really famous. Yeah, but he did. it was weird because he didn't, he was so stupid about it. Because he let the producer, he gave, the, the contract with the producer said that the producer owned all of the footage. Yep, exactly. Yeah, so Joe, he wasn't a smart guy. Yeah, how did Joe benefit from that if he was going to let this other guy own all of it? I mean, to me, that was the gold mine, gold mine. And to me, the biggest offense in this whole thing was that that producer did not m- ensure that there was redundancy with any of the data and the footage. <laughs> I mean, yes. I pre- I, my job, part of my job in my life, in my professional life, is preaching to the um, folks about how important it is to make sure that you've got your data protected. And um, it's so valuable. And this is, I mean, if I needed to point to somebody, you know, to some example of why it's critical, this is it. Because when you lose all of it, you lose everything that matters. This guy had spent his life and he had gone through all of this pain and agony. I mean, it was really grueling for this professional producer to be there on site and to endure Joe Exotic. And then to think that, as we'll see throughout this episode, you know, all of that data is lost. It's ruined so, because someone decides to go in and burn down the studio where they're where they're recording. So I can't yeah. believe that he left himself exposed like that. If he was to me, that's his biggest failure. If he was so professional, he should have protected his investment. Yeah, I agree completely. And I mean, this guy among all the other characters, I don't know what his previous credits were. Uh he saw an opportunity there, and uh, he tried to take it. But, of course, the, the big hook for this episode is that about halfway through, there's a big fire. And, uh, as Sonia said, it's the studio where they, other than just 
letting things record and, and letting the day-to-day run out and let Joe be himself, they also do, like, a daily news segment, essentially, where go- Joe gives an update about what's happening in the zoo and his opinions and his thoughts on Carol Baskin. And so this becomes their studio, and there is a massive fire, and it is very clear that it was arson. There's no doubt that someone set fire to this. And initially, they start to accuse the producer uh, because he did own everything, and maybe he could take out an insurance claim. Maybe he had something to gain by losing it because he didn't actually want to participate in the first place. But as it unravels... He was never, it, it doesn't seem like he was ever really there. There is uh, there's security footage of a man walking towards the studio. It's not clue, clear who it is, but uh, he, he's like, the producer's accused of it. But as we learn more, it seems like it may have been Joe or someone else who was trying to help Joe out because... Even though Joe was dying to get famous, he found out that he didn't actually own any of this. And maybe this was his attempt to get back at the producer because if Joe couldn't have it, then no one could have it. Uh, absolutely. I mean, um, ugh, just this is one where I'm going to say it's better to watch it. I mean, again, if I was this guy, <laughs> I would have protected my investment. And that footage, who knows where that came from? I mean, I do think it's the producer because there's a black dog walking next to him and he had a black dog. It doesn't look like it's at night. It looks like it's in the daytime. So they could have pulled that footage from anywhere. But um, I, I there was no motivation for this guy to, to you know, burn no. his data. I mean, if anything, it was the most important thing that he could have done to protect it. So, right. you know, this is, in the same episode, we understand that, you know, this is where Joe really starts honing in on Carol. He hates her so much. He spends his days and nights promoting the, um, you know, the demise of Carol Baskins. You know, he is so angry at her. She has taken care, taken away, you know, all of his ability to, um, you know, maintain his financial independence, we'll call it, because he was making so much money. I mean, he even says, by the time you have, when you have a cub, when you have, a, you know, a baby tiger, a cub, a tiger cub, by the time that they are 12 weeks old, they have earned over $100,000. And then after that point, they're ultimately useless. They are just eating. Wow. So he says it on camera and it's really clear. And Carol stepped in and took that away from him as she was calling ahead, telling people that they shouldn't be promoting that kind of activity. So he hated her. So he started, he he realized quickly, you know, with social media, he wanted to jump on, you know, any kind of promotional advantage that he had. So he pretty much replicated Big Cat Rescue. And, um, you know, he started promoting himself as Big Cat Rescue uh, entertainment and really trying to jump on that bandwagon. <laughs> and yep. there was a trademark issue with uh, Big Cat Rescue, of course. And at the end of the day, rightly so, Joe um, Exotic ended up having to settle this claim um, with Big Cat Rescue and actually, um, you know, negotiated with them that he would pay them the million dollars they won um, uh, with the judgment against him for. Um, you know, all of the things that he had perpetuated. It was just really terrible. I couldn't believe to the extent. He's such an idiot. Like, there were so many other ways yeah. to get back at Carol besides outwardly doing it on Facebook. I mean, he shot, like, a blow-up doll in the head with a gun yeah. saying he was going to kill her. Like, there was so much evidence. I couldn't believe it took them this long to find evidence to stop him from, you know, hounding her. But, um, you know, 
just the terrible things that Joe did. Joe, you know, would swap around, you know, the deeds to different properties to hide it. He said he didn't own anything. He would put it in his parents' name. Ultimately, he caused the demise of his parents um, by leading them into bankruptcy because he put all of his, um, you know, a lot of his material or a lot of his deeds into their name. And then, of course, Carol went after them. And it was just really sad. And his poor parents are sitting there on camera talking about how Carol is so evil and how she's, you know, she's focusing on them and focusing on Joe and making it seem like that Joe doesn't deserve it. And I really disagree. I mean, I can't believe his behavior went on as long as it did without somebody, um, you know, talking about it and really feeling like that somebody should do something about it. So it was really crazy. Um, one of the things that I thought was weird about this episode, by the way, is that, so we know that the trademark issue happened. We know that Joe Exotic went in and there were depositions and he was essentially found guilty of these crimes and he had, again, pay a million dollars restitution back to Big Cat Rescue. Well, there's a conversation on the phone. There's a negotiation where he talks to the Big Cat Rescue folks and they do a deal where he's agreed since the work that he does is seasonal and um, they agree to take more of a payment against that million dollars over time and more in the, the heavier seasons versus the seasons that they're not so busy. I thought that was really weird because I thought the whole point was that Big Cat Rescue didn't want him to continue operating. So why they would let him continue to operate and make money to pay them the million dollars I thought was weird. No, I, I totally agree with that. It didn't make any sense at all how they were essentially willing to set up a payment plan so it was convenient for him. Yeah, it was. It, it's really weird. Um, all right, so... We'll quickly go through the rest of these episodes because it's so worth a watch. But some of the things yeah. that you're going to see in part four, which is the... That was part four. So part five is uh, when Joe starts to dabble into politics. He decides to first run for president and then run for governor. Uh, and, and make America uh, great again, right? That's what the episode's called. No, uh, no, 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 no. Make America exotic again oh i oh sorry i confused yes. you no 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 mia instead of maga or yes so he runs uh, for president he runs for governor because obviously he didn't become president um, yeah yeah and i uh, well you know i have to say i think he actually did better than i would have expected him to do in the gubernatorial race he uh he Got some people to show up for him and uh, shell out. So obviously he didn't win. He never had a prayer of winning. But instead, yeah, but of being he was a, devastated when he didn't win. Don't you think that was weird? I was like, how delusional is this dude? Where he I don't actually think he was, was devastated. I mean, it was no. He like he like jumped on top of a table and was like, well, we tried and we failed. But drink up. Yeah, I I took it a lot more seriously than that because in that same sentence he also said that he was going to jump into traffic or jump out of window. He did say that you're right. He did say that. And you know, I I think this does speak to his big ego though. He thought so much of himself that he saw, you know, some where he some polls where he wasn't getting obliterated and he did go into the election saying, well, "You know what?" At least we have a chance. He didn't have a chance, but he did better than I think anyone expected him to. Yeah. No, it was, uh, again, I can't believe that the state of Oklahoma entertained this. And there were so many people that were receptive to it. Uh, a couple other big things that uh, happened in this episode. There were three big things that happened 
uh, with his, his personal life, really. Um, his first husband, and his name was... John Finley. Started having an affair with the park's receptionist. I think he was having an affair the whole time. Probably. And uh, got her pregnant and ultimately decided to leave Joe to be with her because he was never gay to begin with. And uh, that devastated Joe. And then what happened to his second husband, Sonia? Well, Travis Maldonado, as we talked about earlier, uh, had a, a pretty serious addiction or multiple addictions. But unfortunately, um, you know, Joe did not help Travis. He actually enabled him. And that really led Travis down a path. And ultimately, that path led to Travis walking into a room to talk to some of the other folks at the zoo and standing right in front of them and just shooting himself in the head, which I can't guess whether he meant to do that or not, or if he thought it would be joking because he apparently walked around the park frequently with a gun and would draw it on people. And some people in this documentary actually suggest that they woke up and he was standing over them with a gun on them. So I don't know if this was meant to be his course of action or not, but he certainly um, took it and he did not survive it. And some of that's on video, at least the reaction of the people who he was standing in front right. of when he did it. Um, yes. You know, really sad. This guy was really young. And um, again, you know, Joe, took advantage of his vulnerabilities. And um, I think that Travis, you know, ultimately had enough. He seemed like a very sad person. Again, even the video yeah, where did. he he was at the, you know, where they were getting married, I felt really sad for Travis. I, you know, he looks into the camera sometimes and you could just see that he was a really um, very distraught person. He he wasn't sure what he was doing and, and he was doing whatever he could to get the drugs that he thought he needed. So um, really sad. And then at the end of part five, um, he meets, Joe Exotic meets his number three husband, <laughs> Dylan Passage, who is um, also a very young man. And, um, you know, I, I truthfully believe that Dylan Passage was homosexual. And um, that, I think, was, in all fairness to Joe, a good thing because at least he was having an intimate relationship with someone that appeared to have some sincerity behind it. We finish up that episode and then we move uh -huh. on to part six, which is the noble thing to do. And this is where we meet and, and we, we dabbled in, you know, these friends that they had, but this is where we really meet the other shady characters in this, in this documentary, um, the series, and, which is Jeff Lowe. And then ultimately Jim Garrison. And um, boy, are these folks, um, you know, scary in my opinion. They, um, yeah, they are. They're, you know, they are participating in a lot of criminal activities. Um, Jeff Lowe, in my opinion, you know, I was shocked at his behavior and some of the things that he said, um, mainly as an offense to his wife. You know, he's here's he's disgusting. on camera with his wife and, you know, er, and, you know, hey, great, they're swingers, whatever. But his wife's sitting there pregnant and he's talking about, how he's, you know, he doesn't really care about, he's not looking forward to the baby coming. He's looking forward to getting his wife back to the gym and hiring a nanny so he can have something hot to look at. I thought that was yep. really offensive. 
That's all I'll say about Jeff Lowe, but boy, I was... Well, there's a, there's a lot to say about Jeff Lowe, and I'll, I'll say some more about Jeff Lowe. He, uh, he's a guy that's been around in, I guess, this wildlife community, and he's, he's a, a, seems to have large pockets, but can't keep himself out of trouble, uh, has filed for multiple bankruptcies, and he comes in as an angel investor after Joe has to settle his, uh, has to deal with the settlement with Carol from the the trademark lawsuit. Uh, he essentially lost all the money that he had in the park, so Jeff comes in and more or less buys the park from Joe and takes over but allows Joe to continue seemingly run the day-to-day. But it's not as clean-cut as that because Jeff is... He doesn't come across as a very good guy. He's not very stand-up. He's pretty shady, to be perfectly honest. Uh, And that will then come to a head in Episode 7. Yes. Uh, That is where we really see the culmination of all of this because... You've got Jeff Lowe, and then you've got um, Garretson. Both of them start turning against uh, Joe. If anybody's going down, it ain't going to be them. It's going to be Joe. So uh, right around this same time, it's sort of conveyed that Joe was looking for someone to hire to kill Carol Baskin. That came to fruition with him apparently paying $3,000 to one of Jeff Lowe's criminal friends, Um, who then went down or said he was going down to Florida to kill her. Now, he never made it to Florida, but there's now money exchanged. There is a plot to kill Carol. It is so well documented because Joe, in his infinite wisdom, decides to ultimately just put enough information out there on Facebook and on his other social media pages (laughs) to to really prove an excellent point uh, by a prosecutor that Joe orchestrated this in a way that was a, a be above and beyond. There's no way that there wasn't enough evidence to prove it. You've got all the, the cast of characters. You got everybody rolling over on everybody, and they're all willing to roll over on Joe. And I'm not surprised because his bad behavior finally came to fruition. So, you know, when I watched this documentary, this series, the first time, I felt a bit sad for Joe Exotic. I don't Agreed. anymore. I think he okay. is a uh, an enabler, a user, a person of opportunity, a liar, a con man, a cheat. He embezzled money from not only Jeff Lowe. I mean, and Jeff Lowe and his stuff aside, good guy or not, you don't steal from your um, business partners. And he also embezzled um, money and you know from his his campaigns his presidential campaign oh, and his right, gov- right. you know his yes, running yeah. for the governor's office so again i'm not gonna excuse i'm not gonna allow us to let joe exotics charisma and his ridiculousness excuse his behavior because he absolutely participated in this from the very beginning carol carol baskin and her husband maybe kooky is all get out but at the end of the day they didn't do anything illegal and joe exotic did in a way that was, again, like, you could never argue it. I, he, God forbid, his poor defense attorney must have just been like, oh, man, well, there is no hope. This is so well dis- documented. I don't disagree with anything that you just said, except that uh, between the hired hitman and Jeff Lowe, there is a phone conversation where they essentially say that 
this is all about framing Joe to get him sent away to prison. And whether or not... It, it seemed to me that it was unclear. I only watched this once, but it seemed to me that it was unclear if Joe actually did pay or if the money came from Jeff to go to this hitman. And then Joe was framed for it. He did some crimes. He deserves to be punished. He probably deserves to be in jail. But I'm not 100% sure that he deserves to be in prison for all of the things he was convicted of. Well... I consider the thing that he got the least amount of time for to be the least offensive. I mean, you know, I don't think that you should try to hire people to murder others, but I don't think he was ever going to be successful at it. But it was it was really the other animal abuse charges that really right. took Joe down. That was what sealed the deal for him. It was, you know, those other pieces aside. And there's so much video of him talking about wanting to have her killed. And, you know, I'll just oh, go have somebody. I mean... It was easy to prove if whether he gave that Alan whatever guy Alan Glover the money then, or if he gave if he even it, just the insinuation of it. I mean, it was it was ridiculous. They just needed to get him charged for something so they could charge bring all the other charges against him, and that's what sealed the deal. But boy, what a crazy cast of characters! And I have to say that at the end, a couple of my takeaways from this, besides the you know you'll have no teeth and you'll be ugly and won't have any friends. Um, that Joe Exotic seems to live and die by. I thought there were some great editorial choices. Yeah, uh, I agree. Uh, Garretson on his jet ski in slow motion. That was so weird. I was like, this is, I, I don't know where he is, but it looks like Florida. And it made me laugh out loud because I thought, oh my goodness. I, I know this guy. I know, I know 20 of him. Oh, it was. It was ridiculous. It was fantastic. It was crazy and so perfectly timed. The other thing that I thought was crazy, I I am so overwhelmed by the disgustingness of one of the other people who was a peripheral person who ultimately did a deal with Jeff Lowe to open another zoo. I don't know why these keep, people keep opening zoos. Like, yep, what, yep. who cares? Just do something else. But uh, his name was Tim Stark. And he did a lot of work and he provided a lot of material to Jeff Lowe. And he was, you know, he succumbed to Jeff Lowe's con man stuff too but he had a monkey that he would like drive around with and the monkey hung out on his like shoulder and i'm like okay we're in the middle of coronavirus hell here so i'm already terrified of germs then this monkey sitting on this guy's shoulder and the guy is letting the monkey drink out of his cup and the guy is giving his the monkey food and he's giving the monkey food out of his mouth and I'm like, uh-huh. oh my God, dude, this is an outbreak. I am terrified. Like, yeah. this is the way things start. It's so, yes. so, so gross. And this guy, you know, obviously loved this monkey, but it was, it, it, every time I saw it, I kind of, you know, came unhinged because I just can't understand. I would never be compelled to do that. I mean, I don't even like for my no. dog to lick me on the face. It grosses it me out. To the thought of this monkey, you know, this outbreak situation with this monkey, it just kind of tripped me out a little bit. That was a one. I don't know why that left me, but um, like that. But I, I thought it was no. It was it was weird for sure. It was super weird. I totally agree with that. The um other part of this that I thought was really sad. So I will tell you again. I've got connections to those folks in Florida. I you know again worked on premises for a couple of productions at the Wildlife on uh, Easy Street. But I, apparently, I'm also friends with Joe Fritz on Facebook, um, and I and I essentially woke up with this morning. Joe Fritz? Joe Fritz is the attorney for Don Lewis in Tampa. 
when oh. he was saying, you know, when they remember the guy was kind of balding, perfectly nice. Yeah. Um, but they were asking him questions. He's like, well, I'm not going to say anything. But yeah, I get yeah, up yeah. this morning, I look at my Facebook, and here's Joe Fritz, you know, telling all of his friends, including me. And I don't know how I'm connected with this guy, but an attorney in Tampa, and I live in St. Pete, and I used to, you know, go to Tampa a lot, so I'm not surprised. But he's telling everybody, you know, hey, I heard that um, there's a game right now about, you know, who's your favorite character on Tiger King, and apparently I'm one of those characters. And I was like, what? 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 Wait a minute, what? <laughs> And I'm like, oh, my God, Joe Fritz, I totally didn't even put two and two together. I just thought it was really, really strange. Um, my big takeaway from all of this, again, entertainment value 10 plus, you know. <laughs> sure, agree. Really sad. Yeah, it is. I agree. I'm sad for the animals because none of this helps them. That's the part that made me the saddest, honestly. N not just the animals. This is the part that I thought was really sad as well, is that throughout this entire series, I that what was steadfast to me was that everybody who was involved with the exception of the people who were profiting were, were, you know, strong believers that they thought that what they were doing with these animals was the right thing to do. All of the workers were very much vested in sure. working with these animals and trying to support, um, you know, the cause that they were supporting by rescuing and saving and promoting, um, conservation. And even through the very end, I mean, again, uh, cast of characters like no other but I really felt for them you know they were all very distraught and they had gone their own ways but it was really terribly sad everybody was affected by this in one just a terrible terrible way I mean even the poor guy the kid who um you know was Joe Exotic's campaign manager that guy was traumatized for a lot yeah. of reasons but sure. I mean just heartbreaking to see how many people that this affected and um you know at the end of the day for what you know, for entertainment on Netflix, yeah. But did we, what What came of it? What are we doing? Are we doing anything different? Have any laws been passed against, you know, the privatization of, of owning these kind of animals? No. Is anything changed at all about protecting them in the wild? Nope. And are these people now lost because they don't have anywhere to sort of focus their efforts? Yes, they are lost. So at the end of the day, it was just really sad. Yeah, I agree. I left it feeling... Actually, yeah, I left it feeling very sad, too, because, I mean, there were, it almost, it really almost felt like there were no good guys in this. The ones that cared the most were the, the low-level players that are probably left out in the dust now, uh, and the the people that maybe won or got away with it, I don't think are really genuinely great people. The animals certainly didn't win, um, and it just... I would agree. It was highly entertaining, but didn't leave me feeling very good. Yeah, it didn't me either. I mean, I know we all like to poke fun and, and you know, like I said, these are very colorful characters. But at the end of the day, you know, what are we going to do about the situation? What are we going to do about, you know, protecting those animals and making sure that we don't have the same situation occurring over and over again? And these crazy, crazy people profiting from this. Um, at the expense of those animals. It's just, just, just terribly sad. Very colorful, I will say. Take a look, but at the end of the day, think strongly about how we can collectively um, make a difference that will make things better. All right, Scarlettos. Thank you very much for tuning in. We really sincerely hope you go watch this show. Uh, I mean, it is, it is a worthwhile watch for a lot of different reasons. Uh, but of course... 
We're grateful for you listening to this um, and uh, really happy to have you along hearing about the Tiger King. Uh, any any final words before we wrap up? I don't think so. You know, again, you know, again, promoting staying safe, being healthy. We hope that we can sort of give you guys a bit of entertainment. And then certainly I would strongly suggest watching the series. It's seven hours of, um, you know, like I said, entertainment, but be thoughtful about the end of the documentary of the series and what, what it really means, you know, watch it more than once. Sure. And the other thing I'll say that I, I, I have to remind everyone that at the end of the day, Joe exotic, all he wanted in his entire life was, you know, to feed his ego and to successfully um, become famous. And I think at the end of the day, he ultimately has, um, you know, at the expense of many for sure. Hey, Scarlettos, before we wrap this up, we want to give a shout out to the Pod All the Time podcast network that we, Scarlet TCP, are proud members of. Other members of the Pod All the Time podcast network are Creative Intuitive, Another Digital Citizen, History of a Haunting, Round and Round the Podcast, Real AKA Truth Podcast, Ruck Up Podcast, Random Unnamed Podcast, Suburban Folk, Three Peas in a Podcast, Raw Sex Podcast, I Think We're Doing It Podcast. So if you like what you're hearing from Scarlet TCP, check out these other shows, the members of the Pod All the Time Podcast Network. Alrighty, guys. Stay well. Give us a like, listen, subscribe. Follow us on, uh, on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. I know I find it really entertaining when, uh, and appreciative when I get some sort of interaction and feedback. So please keep that coming. But uh, stay well. Be good. Keep killing it, Scarlettos. Keep killing it. Keep killing it.